Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. When I was 15, our family experienced a horrific tragedy. My uncle, my aunt, and my 14-year-old cousin are all dead. We traveled down to Tennessee, we gathered with our extended family, and we grieved and we tried to comfort each other in the midst of a devastating loss and sadness. We have a very large family. And there was a big group of pre-teens and teenage cousins trying to figure out what to do with the enormity of the loss and the vast emotions that came with the situation. So we decided to take a walk together as a group, and we ended up down at a little walking bridge close to my grandparents' house, throwing rocks into the creek that ran underneath it. And this was not the first time we'd been to this walking bridge. This was like the place you would go when you went to grandma's place. We'd all hang out down at this walking bridge. However, something was very different about this visit. Eventually, we noticed a giant boulder buried in the ground on the side of the creek close to the bridge. And, well, with all our youthful exuberance, our high emotions, and plenty of time to kill, we decided that that giant boulder needed to be dug out of the ground, brought to the middle of the bridge, and tossed into the creek underneath. Ever tried to move a giant rock? As we began to unearth the rock, it was bigger than we first imagined. But the more we dug and the more we worked together, it became more than just a time waster for us. It was more than just moving a rock and tossing it into the creek. It was a quest. We were not going to be denied. We spent the remainder of that afternoon on that bridge in East Tennessee working and struggling For the joy of the moment when that rock would come across the bridge, go up, and splash into the creek. And when it did, it was amazing. I can still vividly remember that moment. I can recall the emotions even of that day. As little did we know, in that few hours we spent together as cousins, that story would bind us for life. And every family reunion when we would gather together, those cousins that were at that bridge, for years we would get together and we'd talk about the rock. That was our story. Anytime the rock came up, the aunts, the uncles, extended uh, neighbors knew about it. When our cousins would bring their friends, they would talk about the rock. It was our family folklore. It was filled with emotions. And even today, 
when we get together with those cousins, all the emotions of that moment come back. We relive the excitement, the thrill, and even the sadness of the moment, and we cherish the memory. And this morning, my desire is to do the same thing with the account of Jesus' resurrection. For some, I want to tell the story of the resurrection for you. For others, I want to remind us anew of the story. And at the end, I'm going to call all of us to a response to the message of the resurrection. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just do thank you for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I pray that as we hear from your word right now, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the truth of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would be with those that are coming in this morning who have hurts, who emotionally, physically, and spiritually are struggling. God, I pray that in this time, the truth of the resurrection would become very real to them, that you would open up their eyes and that they would see Jesus for who he is and what he has done for us. But you remove all distractions and help us to see you with the great hope and the promise that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been amazed? Have you ever been so astonished by something that it shook you to the core of your reality? That's what faced these women when they went to the tomb to see Jesus' grave on that Sunday. What caused the astonishment for these women? It was some very specific facts that first led them to some very dramatic feelings. First, it was the reality of the rock. These ladies, just a couple of days earlier, had sat across from the rock, and they watched as the rock was rolled across the tomb. They saw how big it was. And if you look at Mark chapter 16, Mark mentions this rock over and over again. This was a big deal. Who was going to move the rock? How are we going to get the rock out of the way? The stone. And they were amazed when they showed up and the rock had been moved. The rock is a reality because it is the first fact that Jesus lived and that Jesus died. There is really no reputable scholar that denies today that the man Jesus of Nazareth lived and that he died and that he was placed in a tomb and a rock covered the entrance. They even agree that he was crucified and that he literally died. It wasn't that he just passed out for a while and then when he was in this tomb woke up and had this unbelievable amount of strength and pushed the stone out of the way. No reputable scholar believes that. They believe that a man Jesus lived and a man Jesus died by crucifixion. And these women were worried when they came to the the stone about what were they going to do about this rock. But when they got there, the rock had been moved. Who moved the rock? But even more importantly for them was who moved the body? Was it stolen? Was Jesus' body stolen? This was a concern because the Bible says that this was such a concern for the high priests that they set up some guards, some Roman soldiers, the best of the best, went and guarded the tomb that couple days. 
because they were afraid that Jesus' disciples would come and steal his body. But why would they do that? The only reason that you would steal Jesus' body is if it had some value to you as a disciple that maybe they thought if they stole his body, then that they would be able to keep this so-called myth that they were creating alive, that there would be some benefit for them. But here are some amazing facts. The body has never been found. Jesus' followers, his disciples also, the vast majority of them, they died or they were killed for the belief that Jesus' body wasn't stolen by them, but it was actually raised from the dead, that it was empty, that it was empty before they got there. They died for this. People may die for a lie, but not often for a lie that they made up. But most of Jesus' followers, most of his disciples, and many after that first generation also died believing the truth that he rose. If it was a myth, if that's what they were trying to do, create this, some myth and benefit them, they were terrible at it. These 12 disciples and these women, they were terrible at it. Because the Bible account is so filled with facts and details of actual places and actual situations and real people, and it's very succinct. When there's myth, and they had myths back in these times, when these were written, these myths, they were, they were filled with big ideas and grand stories, lots of verbiage and grand tales. That's not the account of the resurrection. That's not the story of Jesus. These guys would have been terrible if that was their plan to make it a myth. The passage goes on to say that the young man sitting there said that they would see Jesus and they would see him in Galilee. You might be thinking, like some scholars have, well, maybe these women in their grief were having a hallucination, that they were just seeing things. They were just so distraught and so in anguish that when they, they got there, they, they just made this up. They thought they really they saw something. It was like a hallucination. That is also a possibility. However, all other accounts say that Jesus was seen by these women individually, by his small band of disciples, and by over 500 People. The Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' early followers, said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some of them fall, have fallen asleep. Jesus was seen by 500 people at the exact same time. And some of those same people, when Paul wrote that, were still alive. He's saying, you can go talk to them. They saw him. None of those 500 people and over 500 people ever mixed up the story. None of them said, um... Yeah, I wasn't there for the hallucination. I, I didn't see it. That's not real. None of them wrote a scolding expose of the great hallucination theory. None of them did it. You know how hard it is to even get 11 people to remember the same plan and repeat it over and over again, even after the plan comes up within a few minutes? Just ask Mark Sanchez of the New York Jets, 
who this fall, playing with his team, 11 guys in a huddle, he said, here's the plan, guys. This is what we're going to do. Let's go do it. Break. He goes out there. The ball is snapped to him. Mark Sanchez says he had a mental lapse, forgets what he's supposed to do, and he runs right into the backside of his own center, fumbles the ball, and the butt play came into existence. And for 18 weeks now, ESPN said that play is the worst of the worst in plays. And that's just 11 guys together. They came up with the plan seconds earlier, and now one of them already forgot the plan, and he messes up so bad. Jesus was seen by 500 people all at the same time. And it was a much greater stake than just a football game. And they always got the account right. Not only that, this story that the tomb is empty, that Jesus was around, we're here today, thousands of years later, celebrating it and believing it. And it turned the world upside down. This person, Jesus Christ, has turned the world upside down. It gave these fishermen new courage, new passion to share the message. You know, in a court, it only takes two witnesses to hold credibility. But Jesus had over 500 people see him at one time. They all said the same story. They all believed that story. They lived out that story, and they even died for that story. The idea of a hallucination falls very short when it comes to the resurrection. So if his body was not stolen, and if it's not a myth, And if it's not a hallucination, and it wasn't that he was just passed out and he he regained his strength after a brutal crucifixion, the most compelling explanation for the facts, when you look at them hard, is that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He is living. The central message of Christianity is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the fact is there is no Christianity. And you should not waste your time. Paul, one of Jesus' followers, said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Paul said, if this is not true, then stop believing it. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is living. You might say, that's impossible. Dead men don't come back from the grave. A dead man can't come back. That's impossible. You know, I would have said airplanes flying intentionally into buildings with thousands of people over them. I would have said, that's impossible. 
It never happened. I would have said being able to take your TV to any room in your house and even outside and still have great reception is impossible. And I would have said seeing Louis Anderson in a high diving competition is impossible. But all 415 pounds of them jumped off the diving board. There are things that we say are impossible that are possible. And Jesus raising from the dead is possible because it's true. Jesus is living. Thousands of years of human history since the resurrection of Jesus, and there has been no evidence to clearly contradict the claim. The historical evidence actually points to the truth of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead, just like he said, Jesus is alive. A German scholar, Wolfgang Wolfhart Pannenberg, said this, the evidence of Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. To his first argument, I think the women at the tomb on that Sunday morning would have said, yeah, that's a very unusual event. We were not expecting that. But it happened. It's true. It's historical. It's factual event. And everything about Christianity hinges on that event. But the second statement, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live, that really scares people. Maybe it scares you. And so the way some people are starting to deal with this, they say, you know what? Hey, there is a lot of historical evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead. It's hard to defeat. It's hard to argue an empty tomb. It's hard to argue those. The, the, the case for that is huge, and I would challenge you to look it up, and I can help you with that if you want some resources. There's a lot of evidence there, so they say, you know what? But it's that other thing, if it's true. And so what they have done is, you know what? They'll believe that Jesus rose, kind of a mystical thing, kind of spiritual, you know? Um, and they'll say, you know, if it's good for you, hey, Paul, if it's good for you, if you want to believe that, it's good for you. If it helps you, you go on believing it. Um, and if, it's, if, if it doesn't, that's fine. But if it's good for you, you believe, but if it makes you feel good, that's fine. And we don't accept that kind of thinking for historical facts in any other realm of life. Imagine you're a college student, get ready to go to college, and you hear there's some scholarship money. And so you call up the financial advisor, and the financial advisor says, hey, yeah, we really want you to come. It's a great school, but you know what? The funds are low. We don't have any money to give you to come, but hey, we want you to believe that we got money for you. And if it makes you feel good about believing that there's money for you, then you, you believe that, and we'll see you in the fall. How many college kids are going to show up at that school? But they feel good. They believe that the money's there, even though they have been told it's not there. Or what about if I, you wanted me to pick you up from O'Hare Airport or Midway? You say, hey, Paul, can you pick me up? And I say, yeah, I'll be there. If you want to believe that I'll be there, and that makes you feel good, and you wanna, then you believe that. If that helps you get home, you believe that I'll be there for you. If you, that makes you feel warm in your heart, you believe that. Are you going to stand there and wait for me? Or are you going to call somebody else? With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the historical evidence is astounding. But people will still say, it's just a spiritual thing. It's just kind of mystical. So it's okay for you to believe it, but I'm not going to believe it. 
But we would never think that way in any other realm when it comes to factual, historical accounts. No, not only is Jesus alive, but the Bible says Jesus is Lord. If you believed it happened, you have to change the way you live. This is addressing the lordship of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Matt Woodley, in a book, tells the true account of a failed prison break from San Quentin Prison. This prisoner was in San Quentin, and he came up with this idea. Hey, I'm going to sneak inside a laundry truck. I'll bury myself deep underneath the bags, and I'll just wait. And then when the laundry truck takes off and they go do the laundry, I'll crawl out and sneak out. It was a masterful plan. But this plan failed miserably. Because he didn't realize that the laundry truck went from one building of San Quentin all across the other side of San Quentin and ended up in another part of San Quentin. He never got out of prison. It was a miserable attempt. But that is reality for most of us and for all of us, what we really desire about life. We desire to be free. Deep down inside of all of us, we desire to be free. We actually were designed to be free. That desire has been expressed in the words, the music, and the art of our humanity for centuries. This desire to experience, to be free, to look for a world of justice, hope, and peace. That is the deep longing of all of our hearts, even if we don't express it the way I just did. We long for that as human beings. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He died because we are not free. We're not. The Bible says our sin has separated us from God. God created the world perfectly. We did not follow his plan. We failed. We sinned. And there was a separation between us and God. Sin has separated us. And our sin, though, was dealt with on the cross on Friday. So that Jesus, when he rose, he conquered that for us. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We want to be free. We want peace. We want joy. We want satisfaction. We want freedom from this prison of life. But the reality is what hangs over all of us in this room is the shadow of death. We cannot get free from that. Some of you have a bucket list. It is filled with things that you want to do. And you may do them. You may have the greatest experiences in all the world. You may see things that maybe nobody else gets to see. You may feel things in this life that maybe many people don't get to feel. You may experience things that most people don't get to experience. But at the end of the day, there will be a corpse and an empty bucket. Because we are prisoners to this life. And we cannot conquer death. We can't beat the ultimate enemy. But what if one prisoner escaped? What if instead of riding in the laundry truck of life to one experience to another experience, hoping to find peace and never getting out of the prison, what if somebody actually did get out? And what if someone sent him in there to find the way of escape? And then he came up to you and says, Hey, I am your liberator. Follow me. I know the way out of this prison. I know how to get out of here. Follow me. Listen to me. Trust me. If you do those things, you will escape. You will be free. That would be amazing. 
That is what Jesus did for us. We could not conquer death. We, couldn't get, we can't get out of this prison of the shadow of death looming over us no matter what we fill our lives with, no matter how many great experiences we, can, we have. But Jesus came in our place as one of us. He entered into our prison of life. He lived the life we couldn't live. He suffered like we suffered. He experienced all that we suffered. And then he died. But then he rose again. Jesus is alive, and his rising makes him Lord. And when Jesus being the Lord of your life, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. It's the liberator coming to you and saying, hey, I know how to get you out of here. So follow me. Follow me. Listen to me. If you want out of life what you really desire, if you really want the peace, if you really want the freedom that you really desire, then follow me. I know the way out. I'm the authority. I'm the leader. That's what lordship is. Jesus is Lord. He is the leader from the prison break of death and sin, and he leads us to true freedom. That is why the Bible brings out the truth of freedom for us. When it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is living, and Jesus is is Lord. He is Lord of all. Matthew, in his resurrection account, he says that Jesus said after he rose, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. That's amazing. The question this morning is, how will you respond to the resurrection? The account calls for a response One who is dead is now alive, and one who is dead and now alive has all authority. He is the leader. He He has found a way out of the prison of life's death shadow. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, the resurrection response for you means hope. And it means for you a reason to pour out your life in the service of the world, not pull away from it. N.T. Wright said this, The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world, news which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things, and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory, the victory of Jesus over them all. The resurrection for us who believe gives us great hope that we need to be involved in this world, to serve this world, so that God's kingdom on earth will be accomplished, His will would be done. It's a call of hope and a call to serve. But if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, Jesus' call to you is to respond to His invitation of escape. What rock is in your way of seeing Jesus for who He is And being amazed. I want to challenge you this morning to examine the evidence. 
take a hard look at Christianity. Jesus came for you. Jesus loves you. He demonstrated his love by coming on this earth, taking on your sin on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that the guilty one could be described as innocent. Jesus was our substitute. My challenge this morning is don't walk away without choosing to think deeply about the truth of the resurrection and the change and the hope that it has in Jesus Christ. This Easter morning, believer, follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not quite sure yet if you want to follow Jesus, let me encourage you to examine the evidence and then respond. Respond to the hope and the grace and the fact that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to sing one more song, but I'm just going to ask you to bow your head And close your eyes for a brief moment just to think about what you just heard. I'm going to ask you that are followers of Jesus, are you seeing the resurrection as a call to serve, to bring the hope to the world? Or are you drawn back too much into your own little world? I encourage you to respond and say, yes, you will serve. But maybe you are questioning Christianity. Or maybe this morning you say, you know what? I think what he said about Jesus makes sense. I think that's who I've been looking for all my life. I think I want to be free from this prison of sin and death. I see who Jesus is. I want Jesus. The Bible says you can receive him right now. You can respond in faith. And maybe as you're sitting there right now, you could say to Jesus something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe you rose again. That you are alive. And that makes you Lord. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died in my place. I accept your forgiveness and desire to follow you with my life. In your name, amen. If you pray that and believe that, Jesus says you can have a relationship with him. It would be great joy for us. Let me pray for you and we'll stand and sing. Maybe you're struggling with something this week. Just a burden. You say, I'd like someone to pray with me. Our prayer team would be down here. We'd be glad to pray with you. You can come. Maybe you just prayed that and say, I want to tell somebody that I believe Jesus is who he says he is. We'd be glad to pray with you down here. You can see me afterwards. Let's pray. As we stand, let's pray.
my sin. 